they're also fairly well known, right? We learn these whether you're in Awana or, or something like that. We learn about these verses fairly early on a lot of the times in life since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, putting off our encumbrances and the sins that so easily entangle us. And let us look to the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, so on and so forth, right? But oftentimes we... we we know these verses, but how often do we actually kind of look into them? And then how often do we actually look into the rest of the chapter, which is there? Now, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Um, a lot of people think it's Paul, but it doesn't really have Paul's style of writing. You know how everybody kind of has, has a style when they write that if they've written a lot, you can read it in their voice almost because it sounds like them. This letter to the Hebrews, it doesn't fit. Paul's writing style. So I personally don't think that it was Paul. Um, it could be. We don't know. It never says. Maybe we'll find out when we get to heaven. Um, I am of the personal belief uh, that it was most likely somebody along the lines of Priscilla. I think it was a woman who wrote Hebrews. Um, for various reasons, the biggest one of which is, for a very long time, people wouldn't believe that a book written by a woman could ever be in the Bible. And I think God would find that kind of funny to have a book written by a, a woman in the Bible when for so long there was the patriarchal sexist effect of, well, come on now. A woman writing a book or a letter wouldn't have happened. So I kind of think that that's what it is just because God has a sense of humor like that and likes to knock us down off of our pegs. Do I know who it is? No, I don't because nobody but God does. Um, whether it be Paul or Peter, one of the other apostles, Priscilla, Timothy, who knows? We don't know. Somebody wrote it, most likely of a Jewish background, because it was written to the Jews. Hebrews was not written to Gentiles, right? It was written to Jews, which is why it's important to have now, I'll say this a lot, but you don't have to be a scholar of the Old Testament to understand the New Testament. But you do have to have a working understanding of the basics of the Old Testament to understand the New Testament at all. Jesus quotes it all the time. Paul quotes it all the time. And this book references a ton of things that happen in the Old Testament and a ton of laws from the Old Testament. So it's important to have a little bit of a working knowledge of that, which I would wager that most, if not all, of us in this room have a basic understanding of the Old Testament. That's why I'm not going to spend the next couple of weeks going over that. Maybe someday, but not today. So then we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 12, which comes right after Hebrews chapter 11, which, of course, is the faith chapter where we read our definition of faith, the... Uh, 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 Oh, and my brain just went blank. It's okay, I'll read it. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen or the assurance of things not seen. And then we read, it's called the Hall of Faith, where it goes through various people in the Old Testament talking about their faith. And then it ends by saying, and did they see, did, they, did what they were hoping for come to pass? No, it did not. And you kind of go, What? Isn't, isn't, what's supposed to happen there? You see, what they were hoping for was the Messiah, was the Savior. And every single one of those people in the Hall of Faith died hundreds of years before Jesus Christ is born. So their faith was never fully 
realized. What they're hoping for was never fully realized. Now, they went to heaven. I'm not saying they're in hell or anything like that. And they have spent eternity now with their, their maker and their savior in Christ. But we see that their faith is not yet realized. And it's in that context that we find the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12. Let's read it. Just the first three verses. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It reads, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary or lose heart. Number one on your note sheets there, therefore, therefore, number one, therefore. I talked a little bit about chapter 11 here. I almost said Romans, but we're in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11 here. We talked a little bit about it, right? Faith. And it's that we find that, that Paul, or, uh, not Paul, whoever it is, the author says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are the great cloud of witnesses? We often talk about them as angels and demons and such, and that is part of it. But if we look at the context of it, you're also being watched by the saints who came before you. Abraham, Moses, so on and so forth down the list are watching you. As are the people around you on earth. They're watching you. You are surrounded, I am surrounded, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Witnessing everything that you do and at times every thought that you have. Therefore, because of what they've done, you've got their example of faith, of running the race, even though they didn't end up getting to the finish line and getting what they were hoping for yet. Therefore, since these people are all watching you, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is number two there, so what? You don't have a blank, but so what? You must work and act. Oftentimes, right, we say things like, oh, well, I have faith. To which my response is James's response. Okay, show me your faith by your works. Do works get us to heaven? No, by no means. Do works show who we really are? Yes, they do. They show what's in us. They're the fruit that we bear. So, what is your work? What are you supposed to do? Number one, lay off your encumbrances and your sins. Now, these are two different things, okay? Let's handle the easier one, sin. We all know what sin is, right? It's when you do something that is against the law, and the will of God. That's the basic definition of it. And we all have our own little sin struggles. This is my little sin. I, I deal with it. Do you really? Or do you just let it stay there? You see, you have a choice to throw off sin. And I'm not saying it's easy, and Scripture doesn't say that it's easy. But you have to do it anyway. Every single time that you have sinned, you had a choice not to. You cannot sit there and tell me, well, I was backed into a corner. It doesn't matter. You had a choice 
not to. Sin is sin. There's this thing when you get into, um, uh, not economics, uh, moral dilemmas and things like that called a, a situation ethic. That's the word I'm looking for, ethics. In ethics, it's called situation ethics. Let me present to you what they would use as an example. Your child is starving. Is it wrong for you to steal bread to feed your child? The answer, of course, is yes, because stealing is a sin. The Bible does not put any modifiers on it. Stealing is a sin. The world would say, well, hold on, because you're doing it for a good reason. The ends justify the means. Your situation can change your ethics. The Bible says situation doesn't matter. What is ethical is ethical. Sin is sin. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Sin is sin. And they try to, the world and people try to trip you up with this and go, but your child's starving. Do you really, are you really telling me that you wouldn't go steal bread? And my answer to them usually is, you're right, I probably would. It's still a sin. It's still wrong. It doesn't change that. You have a choice to sin or not, and you have to throw it off. Now, I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm not telling you you're going to be successful every single time. There have already been times, Maddie and I have been married a little under two months. And there have already been times, multiple times, when I've had to look at her and just go, I'm sorry that I'm angry right now. I should not be. Something stupid happened. It's mostly in the car. I love my little helper in the car. The light's green, I'm aware. It literally just turned. The car in front of us has not gone yet. I cannot go yet. <laughs> It's great stuff, or that's not normally the stuff that actually makes me angry. It gives me a tinge of annoyance, but I also smile at it because I love her. But the stuff that gets me mad in cars are the other people that are driving. I'm going to tell you something that ticks me off to no end when I'm driving. There is a very clear in and out of the Rob's parking lot. I cannot stand it when people go in the out. And then they get mad at me because I'm trying to go out the out. And I, I, I get angry and I don't honk my horn usually. The only time I use my horn is if they're going to cause an accident. Because I, I, I'm not, I usually have control of myself enough not to be like. Rrr. But I'm sitting there and she can tell. Because I'm like gripping the wheel and most of the time I start saying something. And then afterward I go, I'm sorry honey, I should not have been angry about that. Were they being an idiot? Yep, they were but I shouldn't be angry about this. You see, I have a choice whether to be angry or not. And I'm going to tell you right now that every single time that I get angry when I'm in the car, we f affectionately call it road rage, it is a sin every time. We laugh about it, and it's funny, but it's a sin every single time because I don't have a right to be angry at that person or at that situation. I always think I have good control of my anger until I'm behind the wheel of a car. And then I don't have control of my anger anymore. You see, that's a sin that I need to throw off. And it's a work in progress. Maddie doesn't understand this. I've tried to explain it to her. I kind of like being angry. There are times when I enjoy being angry. And she's like, I don't get it. Why would you enjoy being angry? I just do. Maybe it's a guy thing. I don't know. I get, but she doesn't get it, which is great. I'm glad she doesn't enjoy being angry. 
But that's an example of a sin that we look at and we go, oh, it's nothing. It's something. And then your encumbrances, right? Your encumbrances. These aren't sins, but they can be things that trip you up. Let me tell you another one of mine. Who knows what starts Thursday night at 825 on NBC? The Houston Texans will play the Kansas City Chiefs for the very first football game of the 2020 season. I will be watching it, assuming my wife allows me to. Sports can be an encumbrance for me. Are sports a sin? No. And I enjoy playing them. And I enjoy watching them. But they can be a stumbling block and encumbrance to me if I allow them to take away from who I am, from what I'm supposed to be doing. If I would rather watch a football game than go to prayer meeting, that's a problem. That's an encumbrance. Sometimes food can be an encumbrance. Sports, food, good things. I'm going to tell you this, and you might look at me and go, church can be an encumbrance. When it no longer becomes church and becomes a thing you go to. When it's no longer about hearing the word of God, singing to God, and fellowshipping together. When it becomes a social construct, it is now an encumbrance. Now, I'm not telling you not to go to church but I am saying to realign your priorities. That's the big thing when it comes to encumbrances. What are your priorities? Encumbrances usually aren't sin. Work can be an encumbrance. Play, reading, video games, I, I don't know, pick your favorite. We all have them. And that's the difference between sins and encumbrances. And run with endurance. We're going to go to number three here real quick because we're running out of time. We had communion this morning, so we're a little bit behind schedule. Number three, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes. Run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not Grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is the reason for our faith. He's not just the reason. He is our faith. He authored it and he perfected it on the cross. Our faith does not exist without Jesus. The hall of faith does not exist if Jesus isn't born at some point. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the belief in things unseen. I'm here to tell you, church, Jesus is unseen to us right now. One day he will not be. And Abraham and Moses and Isaac and so on down the list, they hadn't seen a Messiah and then they get to heaven. And can you imagine their joy at the sight of Jesus, the second member of the Trinity? And they know their faith has been rewarded. And one day, you and I get that same thing. Now, we get the luxury of having this. We get the luxury of having the word of God, of having Jesus having already come. We get that luxury. They didn't. They were looking forward. We at least get to look back. And then we're going to get to heaven and see the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, here's the thing, church. It is very easy in this race to get tired. We're playing ultimate frisbee yesterday, and within four to five minutes, I was huffing and puffing. You know what happened, though? We played for about two hours. The longer that I played, the better my breathing got. 
Now, when we stopped playing at 5 o'clock, my body was like, okay, can we shut down? But once you get past that hurdle, the race gets just a little bit easier. It's still hard. I'm not here to tell you that I wasn't tired. But I was able to keep going. And it's the same thing in life. We run this race, and I'm younger than everybody but one person in this room right now. I understand that. I also understand that in my 20, almost 26 years, I've lived more life than people twice my age because that's how God has designed it for me. I don't mind. In fact, I kind of like it. I enjoy the life that God has allowed me to live. But I've had to learn what it is to run with endurance, the race set before me. And I've often, I was an RA at school, and I talked to people, and they go, how do you keep going? You, you just, you, you, how do you keep going? And my answer is, because I know my reward at the end, and because no matter what I face, it will not compare to what my Savior faced in 33 years on this earth. Later on, next week, we're going to read in the next few verses, and it says, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. You're right, I haven't. So I haven't even gotten close to what Christ suffered. He ran with endurance. And make no mistake, he had to run the race. And make no mistake, he had a choice to run it or not. And he chose to. And he ran it with endurance. Yes, begging God to make those hurdles a little bit less high. But when God said no, he said, okay, I'm, best, I'm jumping them. I'm going to keep going. Take heart, take comfort in your Savior and what he did and in the race that he ran. And when you grow weary, because you will, that life is hard. It's rough. You will grow weary. There will be bad things. There will be bad times. That most of, I'm going to be honest with you. Most of your life you'll look at and go, man, it was hard. You're right. It was. So What? So is everyone else's. So was Christ's. And he chose to run with endurance so that you could run with endurance. So that you could keep going through it. There'll be more hardships to come. Are you alive and breathing? There'll be more hardships to come. Blame it on Adam and Eve if you want to, but somebody would have sinned at some point. Run with endurance the race set before you. You're being watched by the world, by the supernatural world, and by the people who came before you, and they're cheering you on. Abraham's up there with pom-poms. Just picture that. If you ever grow weary in the race, picture an old man with a beard down to like his waist, just waving pom-poms up there, cheering you on. Run that race with endurance. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you that we have... Uh, we have witnesses that are watching us that cheer us on sometimes. Yes, some of the witnesses are trying to make us stumble, but we have others that are cheering us on. And I thank you that Christ came before us and showed us how to run this race with endurance. He, he, he despised the shame of the cross and he took it anyway. Father, help us to lay aside these sins and the encumbrances. They're hard. We like our little sins and we like our encumbrances. But Father, help us to give them over to you so that we can continue to run this race. It's like having a backpack on when you're trying to run a marathon. Help us to take it off and just hand it to you. You can carry it. 
Father, we praise you, we love you. It's in the name of your son that we pray, amen and amen.